Hello and welcome to Talking Property with CBRE, a podcast in which our team of experts share their commercial real estate insights. My name is Kate Bailey and I'm the Head of Retail and Logistics Research and I'm your host for today's episode. Over the next little bit, we'll be talking about the five ways that landlords can make their assets more resilient. This will be an expansion on our new report titled Retail Therapy, Shopping for Resilience in Retail Property. I'm joined today by Megan Wakefields, who's the Regional Director for the Pacific in Retail Property Management, and Zelman Ainsworth, who is a Director of Retail Leasing based in the Melbourne office. Thank you both for joining me today. Thanks for having us. I'm going to pick out five different ways I think that landlords can potentially make their assets more resilient, but it's sort of infinite at the moment, isn't it? And there's lots of new ideas being thrown around. So I guess the first one that we covered off in the report is the idea of incorporating some mixed-use development in shopping centres. So whether that's education, medical, residential, I think um, our analysis showed that that office and education is actually going to give you the highest MAT uplift of of any centres. I don't know if, if, Megan, you've seen that done successfully anywhere. Yeah, I think it's a it's an idea that's definitely been kicked around for quite a number of years, and um, COVID's absolutely given us the projection into the future of what we need to do with this, you know, healthcare and I guess mixed use development. We're talking to a number of our landlords at the moment on how they can become more ingrained in mixed use, and absolutely, we're going to see this coming out of the ground from some of the developers for sure in the very near future. I think it's pretty exciting for our perspective anyway in retail to have that extra usage option in our tenancy mix. And I think that that's kind of the way we're sort of seeing it go. It's just adding another layer of usages that we can we can put into our overall mix for our customers. Yeah, absolutely. And what about you, Zalman? Are you seeing any sort of unusual uses that you might not have seen a few years ago? Yeah, so in shopping centers particularly, I think owners are paying a lot more attention to how their retailers work, how they operate, who their customers are, and how their profit margins work as well, and trying to work in with that as opposed to just putting their hands up and expecting the rent to come at the end of the month. Once a center is open and trading, to have to retrofit that to be a mixed use is quite complicated, particularly in CBDs. So it's more understanding your retail mix, but working backwards from who your customer is and building a mix around the customer as opposed to the other way around. Um, On high street, we're certainly seeing office being introduced to high street shops, particularly in B-grade strip locations, where retail rents would have been $50,000 to $80,000 a month. You're starting to see office tenants and service providers take those retail shop fronts and build an office for themselves there. So there's certainly repurposing of that. A lot of this stuff is happening on the fly, but I think the number one priority is to understand who the customers are in that street, precinct, suburb, and center, and then working on a mixed service and provider that talks to that customer so that that customer continues to come back. The retail does its business, which then can afford to pay you the rent. And Zelman's point is just spot on there. Like you have to build to what the customer wants and not necessarily what the um, buzz term in the industry is at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Look, speaking of what the customer wants, I guess that brings us nicely to the second point, and and that's around that growth in e-commerce we've been seeing. So, you know, we're really talking about engaging with your tenants and and really thinking about ways how you can support click and collect growth, and then potentially even investigating the potential of the last mile development within your centres as well. I don't know if you have any thoughts around that. Yeah, look, absolutely. This is, again, 
COVID has really given a lot of our tenants in, you know, our neighbourhood spaces in particular and sub-regionals, um, mum and dad operators, that push that they needed to embrace online retailing as part of their overall retailing, um, you know, experience for our customers. The omni-channel term has absolutely come to life and it's it's great to see it evolving and um, really taking a sort of a shape of its own through F&B in particular with click and collect, delivery, and of course then your in-store experience as well that's going to be there for our customers. I think, you know, for us, it's one of those ones where we see it as a extension of that bricks and mortar. It's needed. Distribution networks are needed. Last mile has not been sold for in Australia at all, not even close yeah. yet for our for our retailers. So we still need that store presence from our retailers for sure. And I think, you know, the more they can get involved with online and click and collect, the absolute stronger their brands are going to be and the more presence they're going to need. Absolutely. Zelman? So online was always a nice to have for retailers and now it's a must have for retailers, but it's not a replacement and no stretch of imagination is it a replacement. Um, a lot of retailers who've lost their in-store business, particularly here in Melbourne, have not picked up that business online and have no expectations that they will pick up that business online. Yes, online went from a single digit of all retail sales in Australia to a double digit but they're still a long way away from where business was inside of stores. If a retailer really wants to have a platform that is available and convenient for the customers to engage in when and wherever they are, you have to have both to work well. Landlords, particularly shopping center owners, are trying to create last mile logistics inside their centers so that they can not only collect rent from their stores, but also collect turnovers from online business being done that's by creating a customer entry at the front, but a truck entry at the back. So your the landlord's customer, which is their tenant, can have dual access to whichever way the customer wants to go. Retail is simply about customer service and convenience. If those two fundamental elements are not in every single part of the way you do business, you will eventually fail probably quicker than you used to because COVID is not tolerating as many mistakes as they would have before. So people are being found out if their business is not convenient or folks on customer service, I don't care where it is or what you're selling, it's just not going to work. I think that's spot on. There's just so many synergies between those uses and it, you know, we're really starting to see now the imperative get there with, you know, the underlying demand just for that e-commerce sales that we're really going to see that more and more over the next few years. And I think it's really important, Kate, as well, that we don't, fight it as an industry and we embrace it and I think that that um, to Zelman's point there around customers want what they want and we've got to create the convenience for them in our assets as landlords we've really got to absolutely embrace this e-commerce um, factor and that has been part of our industry adaptation that's been coming through for the last five years and COVID has absolutely made us all sit up and just realize we have to embrace it. Yeah absolutely. Look, this next one, I guess, is probably different for us because, Zelman, you, like me, are locked down in Melbourne and and can't go to any restaurants. And, Megan, you are lucky enough to be in sunny Queensland where things are starting to open up and and life's going back to normal. But, you know, we have seen a huge spike this year in demand for food delivery. And landlords have a great role here to make it really easy for platforms like Uber Eats to be able to work with their clientele, but also things like dark kitchens as well. I mean, that's going to be a, a huge growth area going forward. 
it absolutely is. Dark kitchens, um, really interesting topic. Through the depths of COVID, when we were back in May, there was a lot of conversation around retailers wanting dark kitchens. To be honest, my thought process was at the beginning of this, we would see a lot of that happening. And it probably hasn't happened to the extent that we were expecting at the beginning of the COVID lockdown. So it is interesting. We've had a lot of retailers that have I guess, retrofitted one of their tenancies to be a dark kitchen for a number of their brands. Uh, so that has absolutely occurred in terms of dark kitchens within shopping centres. But, you know, to your point, you know, our Victorian counterparts are you're still very much operating in a yep. dark kitchen scenario <laughs> in a lot of ways um, yep. in all of our retail tenancies. Uh, whereas around the rest of the country, things have opened up a lot. And um, I'm happy to say in Queensland, the restaurants are full. The line up to the pubs is long. The cafes are heaving. It is a really nice experience to I go for a walk. Yep. <laughs> I, I, the first day we were allowed open and I walked into a shopping centre and I saw all the retailers trading, I literally nearly cried. It was, um, and you guys will feel the same when you get out um, because it's just an emotional experience for people who are in retail as much as we are to see businesses thriving again. So yes. it will happen. And people want to be around other people. We're, we're humans. We want interaction. So you will see that these restaurants will thrive once again. Yeah. With some minor changes. <laughs> yeah. And someone, we've seen things like Providor really take off in, in Melbourne, you know, that sort of finish at home restaurant quality meals. And I think they've got close to 50 restaurants working with them now. Yeah, um, it's Provador has been a really exciting business model that's been created out of COVID and seems to be growing for a long-term future. With the dark kitchens, we're finding that's mostly the restaurateurs that are being reactive and are looking for short-term opportunities of existing fit-outs with no capital outlay. Um, as far as a restaurant goes, yes, back to that customer service and convenience factor, but a restaurant selling a $200 meal, good luck delivering that to someone's house. It's gonna. There's a very fine line to where it gets... You know, you can't bring a restaurant to your house. You can bring the product, the leftovers, you can put it in a paper bag, but there's so much missing that you pay for in a restaurant that can never get delivered. So as far as investing heavily into dark mm. kitchens, there's been a few groups over the years that have tried investing in it and didn't seem to work all that great. I think particularly here in Melbourne, the restaurant experience is a fundamental part of our city landscape and our, our state's landscape, and that can't be delivered to homes. Um, yes, there are dark kitchens popping up in what were venues that are no longer being used, like wedding halls and things like that, or restaurants that unfortunately have failed. Their kitchens are being converted to dark kitchens as a short-term solution. But if I was investing in a dark kitchen, I'd really think twice. And we in Australia are spoiled for choice. Our quality of food is phenomenal. Our takeaway culture is not the same as what it is in other locations around the world. We want food to be spot on and when you're taking it out of a, a plastic container in your lounge room, it's not what you're getting served on a plate when you're in a restaurant. And no, we absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> and to add to that point, in other major countries where deliveries work really well, you have to look at their extreme weather conditions. When it's you know 10 feet of snow outside, yeah, the experience is much better in my house. But when it's a bit of rain or a bit of cold, a bit warm, like, like the mild weather we have here in Australia, yeah, it's great to have now, but would you be investing your business in fact in the future? I don't know. Yep. I think there'd be a, a lot of Victorians at the moment that would trudge through snow to go to the pub at this stage. So we will see. Um, look, 
couple more to go. So customer analytics. So I think we're, we're really starting to see retailers and, and landlords become a lot smarter about who their customer is, where they should be locating. Look, Zelman, I know we've sort of had that conversation about, you know, more and more we're starting to see landlords not pick the retailer that's paying the highest rent, but really starting to sort of curate a, a tenant mix. Yeah, customer analytics has been a really sophisticated word that was thrown around for a long time that people didn't really understand kind of like Omnichannel was three years ago, but analytics can be bought and even be found online for free now. So if you're not analyzing your who your customers, your age, their gender, their marriage status, their children, the type of cars they drive, where they've last come to before and where they're going from your shop, then you know that information is so vital and so available now that it's, it's really silly not to even think about it. Uh, plus, most banks are providing that to their customers for free. Back to the first point is, I mean, if you understand who your customers and what they want, it's not that hard to kind of connect the dots and bring that service provider or experience to your property, whether it's a center or a high street or what have you. I think gone are the days where you buy wholesale and try to sell it for retail at the margin. There's a lot more to it now. And if you're just chasing on price, the internet's always going to beat you. Mm. And Megan, obviously, you guys work quite closely with our retail analytics team and, and you're on the front line talking to customers all the time. Is is this something that they're more interested in and, and sort of getting a little bit more sophisticated? Yeah, 100%. I mean, there's a number of factors for it. Customers are busy. Our lives are very hectic. We are spending less time doing more. So if we don't know who that customer is and what they want, and we're going to miss them when they come through our door, they're going to walk straight in and walk out again. And that point around our landlords in particular, putting in the right tenants instead of the highest paying tenant, it all comes down to the fact we want longevity. We want people to survive. We we don't want the churn that we used to be able to experience back in the heyday of retailing. So it's, it's about making sticky tenants stick longer um in terms of analytics i mean you cannot you know buy a house without first researching the suburb and the schools that are going to be around it is it access to a train station so how can we be any different in retail when we're talking to our customers we need to know exactly who they are what they want and when they want it so we can make sure we have the right product for them to zelman's point otherwise literally they'll just go somewhere else and they won't think twice about it because that loyalty is just not there like it used to be to brands on that point which came up a few times around the right retail not the highest paying retailer um if you take the mindset of the right retailer not the highest paying you'll get the right retail and get a higher income through turnovers through leasing off the back of that retailer through traffic, through performance of your center and value of the center, where the tenant paying the highest rent, I mean, let's be all be honest, we're all chasing the highest and best returns. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Or discount if the sake of discounting so that someone else doesn't get it. But that sort of mindset shift gets you that plus more, but you're not just chasing the rent. There's so much more to it than just highest rate per square meter. Yeah. And it's cyclical, right? You know, we're talking now in these, you know, vacancy filling of not necessarily the highest rent. When we come up to renewal time, it'll be great to have a nice discussion if they're trading. As to Zelman's point, you know, if they're doing the turnover, we can charge the rent. And so that's what the, the thought process is. Yeah. All right. And last but not least, are we going to start seeing an increase in flexibility in leases? So whether that is shorter lease terms, are landlords going to start owning the fit outs? Are we going to start seeing pop-up stores? You know, we think more and more that retailers are going to look for that flexibility and, and successful landlords will be the ones that are able to provide that. 
Look, I mean, it's a very mixed bag at the moment that we're seeing. We're seeing absolutely some tenants wanting the landlord to throw the whole house at them um, and, and provide the whole fit out and then they'll trade. And then other times we've seen tenants who want longer leases to be able to sort of get the right fit out and the, I guess the quality of fit out. But, I mean, there's no denying it. There is a increased movement towards having more of a flexible leasing structure for our tenants around turnover rent with fashion, of course, and then we've got tenants who do want those shorter terms or the ability to have a fit out that they don't necessarily own. It will move that way, I think, at the moment, especially while they've got some restraints around banking. But, you know, it's retail, right? It's always cyclical. We're in a bit of a cycle at the moment. And I think, you know, for the short term, we're going to see it at least. Mm. So COVID has accelerated all the trends that we're seeing already. So all those things that you mentioned, short-term leases, um, shorter leases, pop-ups, all that sort of stuff was happening for years, but it's accelerated now. Um, a lot of retailers are campaigning for more variable costs as opposed to fixed leases. So their turnovers is reflecting the rent, not so much as one price being paid no matter how your business is going. They want to wear that risk with the owner, which they've been singing that song for years. Now that's that music got so loud that owners are having a hard time to ignore it. One thing's for sure, it's a supply-demand issue. There's a lot of supply and there's very, very little demand. And like anything else, that's going to affect on pricing. It's a tenant's market, no matter what anyone's trying to spin that, particularly real estate agents like myself, it is a tenant's market. And if owners can start thinking that way, that the tenant right now is holding the cards and working around that. Now, it is cyclical. It will change when the demand supply levels out a little bit better. But at the moment, we're noticing that owners are very focused on minimizing their vacancy, creating a retail mix that drives more traffic, more productivity, and attracts more tenants and more customer traffic into their centers. Some of those may actually be loss-leading tenants, but that will breed more rent and more business and more tenants in the future. So I think it's gone away from highest rate per square meter to what we need to do to get our center humming again. Once it's humming, how do we commercialize it? But if you don't go in that order and you're just chasing the rents, then good luck. Yeah, good luck. And I think one point that needs to be made and I think sometimes gets lost in conversation at the moment is it is absolutely dependent on asset class more than ever. You know, your neighbourhood versus your sub-regional versus your um, super-regional versus your CBD I don't know about Zelman, but I've never seen this level of spread between asset classes that we're seeing at the moment in terms of tenant behaviour and even, you know, consumer behaviour for that matter. So that is definitely really needing to be taken into consideration when we're having this conversation around short-term leases, long-term leases and contribution from landlords. In closing, I think there's enormous um, structural changes that were already happening to retail market and now are accelerating. But with those structural changes comes enormous opportunity for both landlords and tenants. And for the first time ever, there's actually a they're just relooking at the whole way everyone does business. And, you know, those incremental little increases that everyone kind of got used to is now turned on its head. And that doesn't mean that those increases cannot be accelerated or quadrupled, both for a landlord and for a tenant, because when there's changes, opportunity, when there's opportunity, there's enormous growth. So look at your centers, look at your tenants, look at your landlords, look at your customers and understand where they're going. Because I assure you, everyone has changed their direction in 2020. And with that, it's most, I would say, probably the most exciting time to be in the retail market, despite the beating the media is getting and despite what's happened in the U.S. 
The U.S. is not Australia, and Australia is not the U.S. So I'm sorry to read what what's happening there, but that's there. We're here. Very different customer, very different market, very different climate, and very much a different opportunities, which I think is clearly banging on the door to be open. And the, the retail market is begging for an exciting change to engage and attract more people, both online and in-store. And when owners and tenants can look at both platforms as one, the opportunities are endless. Great. Well, thank you both Zelman and Megan. That was a really fascinating discussion today. And thank you to everybody for tuning in to Talking Property with CBRE. If you like the show and want to check out more, visit cbre.com.au slash talkingproperty or subscribe through Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everyone.